Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the next installment of the SQS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. As always, I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and let's say hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Patrick, and ready to wrap up the new year, and or the old year, and ready for the new year. And I had the strongest urge to sing along with that tune at the beginning, but uh, I managed not to. But uh, good to be back and, and looking forward to the new year. Uh, me too. I don't think I could take much more. Um, <clears throat> a couple of news stories today that came out. I guess the Russians followed suit with the Drone Registration Task Force, and you will have to register drones over 250 grams. That's kind of going worldwide, and it's kind of disappointing. Um, you know, not happy about that, but I don't know how we're going to come back from that one. Um, also, um, some other stuff that I guess DJ and I announced are going to come out with a new version of their geofencing. I am not happy about that. AOPA thinks it's responsible for uh, drone people to limit where they fly, but I think it's kind of funny. And they've been fighting against ADSB tooth and nail. Um, and ADSB is, is a form of, let's say, geofencing for GA. I think it's kind of ironic. But, you know, what well, do I know? I've only been looking at this for, what, 13 years, whatever. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and of course, we see that uh, now that uh, the, the Downhill Ski Association is not going to allow drones anymore because of that little mishap on the slope. I'm sure you saw it with the Italian skier. Um, that was that was just uh, poor planning on somebody's part. Um, I can't believe that they're even thinking about flying it in that that particular arena. But you know, there you go. Yeah, well, I just don't know. Under you know, I mean, how are you going to uh, regulate stupid? They've been trying for years; it just doesn't work. That was that was. I mean, we're we're talking about you know a fraction of a second catastrophe. Even if it just grazed that guy, broke his collarbone. You know that could that could end his career. So just uh, not smart. You know I've noticed that uh, there was another not smart was a guy was flying a drone next to the presidential um, motorcade. <laughs> he was oblivious. Uh, uh, you know the poor guy was was oblivious. Didn't even know that the motorcade was going to come by and was like, huh, what me? I mean you could see the expression on his face. He was like, ah, brother, sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know that's I, there's there is some of that I guess, but I, that that just you know you know the the president's there. I don't know. There's just things like I like I wouldn't go fly over here, uh, up to the window over here at the federal building downtown Sacramento. 
<laughs> no, I don't think it would be a good idea. No, it's just not the part. You know, there's there's places. Uh, but you're not going to regulate that away. You might geofence that away. But I, I mean, by time you limit everywhere you can really fly, you know. Um, and then what sensitive sites are going to be fed into the, the geofencing? Uh, you know, is the, the U.S. government going to give all of the uh, sensitive you know, site information to a <laughs> company? I doubt it. Poor planning. This stuff's just not well thought out. It's it's really disheartening. But anyway, I don't want to I don't want to get too far off on the uh, Debbie Downer stuff. But uh, anything catch your attention, Gene? Oh well, more than anything else was the uh, the whole Christmas surge, if you will, of uh, unmanned aircraft drones, whatever you want to call them, you know that they're out there. And that uh, th- there was an interesting note that was put out by the Federal Aviation Administration that uh, law enforcement was to assist them and, and gave them their proper protocols, which I thought was kind of interesting uh, because mm-hmm. most of the law enforcement people that I talk to around here are saying, you know, we got it more things to keep up with than trying to track down the kid that just got his, you know, phantom. And uh, I think it's all this is knee-jerk, Patrick. It's just a knee-jerk reaction. And as you've said, and we've said many times before, it's based on, you know, an emotional response. I think that once the, the, the hubbub dies down a little bit, I think we'll start seeing some common sense backing off and it'll, it'll settle out to the point that, you know, they'll back up and say, you know, hey, this 250-gram thing, eh, we could probably back off of that. And, you know, you've been calling for the studies, and I think that'll happen. I, I think the in, uh, the inertia studies and the impact studies will happen, just like it did back in the day when they were firing frozen chickens at the windshields of uh, airliners, you know, until they figured out that the chicken shouldn't be frozen. Well, it was easier, you know, to shoot the frozen chicken. But... Well, yeah, that's, they, they that's cooperated my, a lot more. That's my belief. You know, let's not give. Let's. I, I say we have to emulate the AOPA, and let's not give up an inch, an inch, not one, not a centimeter, without defining the risk to the NAS and non-participants on the ground. That's, and I think that pretty much slaps a bow on that deal. Until you know, don't do anything. Don't agree to anything. Anything you know, you agree to anything. All this stuff is hard to come back from. You know that. Aviation is a different animal. Uh, as I tweeted out this morning, the FAA does not regulate hair dryers. And just because we say it's good enough doesn't mean it's going to work. So I think we can leave it that. You know, I don't know if you have a final word on it or will we leave it there? I just leave it there because uh, it's all subject to change. All right. So then what we're going to do is we're going to move on, and we're going to talk today about the extrajudicial killing machine, which is uh, some people have, let's say it uh, evokes uh, emotions from uh, both sides of the issue. But anyway, we're going to do a little bit, something a little bit different. We're going to talk to the author of We Kill Because We Can, Miss Lori Calhoun. Lori, would you please introduce yourself with a short bio uh, and maybe how you got introduced to drones for the audience? Sure. Thanks for having me on the show. I had been writing about war for a number of years. My background uh, is in philosophy. I did my graduate work at Princeton. I also have a degree in chemistry, but that's actually irrelevant to this. So I had been writing on war, and I was struck by that first drone strike in Yemen on November 3rd, 2002, where six suspects were taken out. And 
I saw a broadcast on it, and basically all you could see was the mangled chassis of a car. You know, the the targets had been incinerated. So my first question was, how do you even know who those people were? And then my second question was, what kind of government does this? I mean, we were in Yemen. It wasn't a place where we were at war. At that time, we were at war in Afghanistan. The war in Iraq had not begun yet. But it was just this foreign country where the CIA had gone and taken out these people. And I found it very troubling because it seemed to me that it contradicted basically everything our country stands for, the rule of law, transparency, due process. I mean, these looked like summary executions without trial to me. And so I was I was puzzled by it, honestly. And so I wrote an essay on it at that time, which was called The Strange Case of Summary Execution by Predator Drone. So I published that essay. That was back in 2003. And then I just went on doing my other work. And um, the drone killing continued, but the U.S. government stopped acknowledging it after that for about 10 years uh, until Anwar Al-Lajid was taken out, then it became somewhat of a topic. And then also with Rand Paul's filibuster in 2013, it also became a topic. But I felt like no one had really subjected this whole practice to moral scrutiny, you know, to ask exactly what we're doing from an ethical perspective. It's true we can kill these people, but should we be killing them is the question I wanted to answer. And so I decided to really dig into it. It's it's a topic that is so new that you can actually read everything that's been written on it. So um, so I decided to write a book where I would try to understand both sides because as you said, it is emotional. It's an emotional debate. People are very for drones, legal drones, or they're very against it and there doesn't seem to be any sort of middle ground. So I decided to try to understand both sides of the debate and well, ended up writing a whole book on it. Well, you're hitting on some good points, and that's why we're having you on here. Because I, I always think, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. A lot of people in the drone industry, and, I, and let me just say, you know, I've been doing the commercial drone thing for about 13 years. I've been doing uh, integration uh, work for about 10. So has Gene. That's why Gene's on here. Gene, Gene and I were part of a group called RCAPA, which is the Remote Control Aerial Photography Association. We started uh, this group for, for commercial, to use it for commercial business purposes. Gene's been out in the field for 10 years doing search and rescue with uh, small unmanned aircraft systems. Um, and we've been exposed to both sides of this since 2005. We were at the ASTM F-38 kickoff meeting in Reno. And, and at that time, this, this was mainly DOD-centric, even though right. commercial stuff was going on. So we've had exposure to this. Now, <clears throat> and I wanted to have you on because we do talk to this. I do talk to people about it. You know, now I'll be honest. I did not get a chance to read all of the 392 pages where the holidays and uh, other things were going on. But reading through the book, it sounds as that uh, you understand that the U- uh, UAS are an autonomous killer robots. Would you like to that's right. discuss? That's um, that's that's a confusion that you see a lot among the anti-drone groups, um, where I, I think it has to do with probably the cultural effect of the Terminator movie series. You know, so people saw those movies and said, oh, no, the robots are going to take over the world. So, And so then they, they equate those robotic systems with the, the lethal drones. In fact, there is a, quote, unquote, human being in the loop in, in drone killing right now. Although I should say that it's being um, 
it's being eliminated. I mean, they are definitely developing the means for robotic killing. So, so there are a couple of points. First is, yes, the drones that are being used right now to kill people are not robotic. There, there is a human being in the loop. And that, but second, they, the robotic systems are being developed. And so people have, there are basically two positions. One is that, oh, the robots will be better because they'll make fewer mistakes. That's what some people say, the advocates. And then the the other ones are, are like, no, there will be no human empathy. There will be no way to stop. It will be basically Terminator nightmare. So I have a, a slightly different position, which is in between the two. I don't think that the robots are necessarily going to be any worse than what we have right now, and that's because the algorithms used by the robots will be written by the very people who are now writing the rules of engagement, which I find very contentious at this point in history. So as an example, uh, military-aged males in these territories are deemed fair game for targeting. Um, if they're, you know, they're, they're males, they're 16 to 50 or 55 years of old, uh, sorry, 16 to 50 or 55 years of age, and if they're killed, they're, they're classified as enemy killed in, in action, even if they weren't named targets. So I find that very problematic. So, so the point is, I don't think that the, the robots are necessarily going to be much worse than what we already have, because the very same people who write the ROE are the people who are going to write the algorithms for the robotic drones. You know, this is this kind of interesting that you say that. Now, like, I'm not. Uh, my my son one time pointed out watching Terminator. Uh, you know, the aerial robots that were killing people. He's like, God, you know, drones can do that. I go, No, they they can't do that. But if they could, the military'd buy as many as they could get their hands on. If it was possible. Now, well, I wait a minute, about- guys. They will do that. They can do that. And we have been doing that for a long time. It's called a booby trap. It's indiscriminate killing. The only thing that we've done is we've improved the sensor a little bit so we can zero in on something warm or, you know, maybe look at it a little bit. But the autonomy is there. It's always been there. We're just trying to keep the human part going with, you know, the, the, the rules of robotics. You know, one, two, three. First off, do no harm. But it's there. Yeah. We're just kind of cutting it loose a little bit. Well, and I, I have, I mean, I have personal ethical problems with killer robots. I mean, I, you know, it's the same deal. Like Google, uh, or let's, I don't want to say Google. So some of the people that are building automatic cars are, are trying, they're grappling with this now. What life is is more valuable, you know? Is it you want to run over the school kids if you have a malfunction, or are you going to run over the nuns? And really, yeah. to me, when you start asking that question, it's kind of chilling, you know? who who Who's, a, let's say, uh where I see this is, and Gene, you just went with kind of Asimov's laws of robotics. I see those laws of robotics actually moving into more of a product liability law and, and maybe even public liability law. Uh, when and you bring like, lawyers into the mix, all bets are off. And that's true. And I don't want to get too far down that, that road because we could spend 30 minutes on that. So let's – I think we've made our point. So let's move on. <clears throat> so – it sounds like it also sounds like you understand the kill chain concept, um, and and possibly how they find targets. Is is, is that fair, Lori? That's fair to say. I mean, the targets are selected on the basis of two forms of intelligence. One is humans or human intelligence. The other is SIGINT or signals intelligence. The humans involves information provided by paid informants. 
So these are people who have been brought, they're locals, they've been bribed to provide the names of prospective targets. And I find this to be a very shady way of fingering targets because, among other things, we know from Guantanamo Bay Prison that when people are bribed to turn over people, they often just turn over their own personal enemies or, or even entirely innocent people if they're amoral and mercenary enough. So, for example, in, in Guantanamo Bay, 86% of the detainees who were taken in by these methods ended up being totally innocent. So the question arises with drone killing. The same kind of intel is being used for the drone targeting program, and so the question is how many of the military-aged men taken out by drone strikes have also been innocent? And it's, it's a little bit troubling to think about. You don't hear a lot of people talking about it. But I think that given that the same types of intelligence are used, you have to um, consider the fact that many of even the named targets may be innocent. And part of the reason for that is that the other form of intelligence being used to, to develop the hit list, the SIGINT, is problematic as well. I mean, one thing they do is they execute people for their behaviors. They, they're said to... Um, match a disposition matrix of behaviors associated with known terrorists or to be associated with people who are believed to be associated with terrorists. And another, another source of SIGINT is cell phone or SIM card data, which is also very fallible because people can share cell phones, they can switch out SIM cards, et cetera. So, so basically these, these extrajudicial executions are based on hearsay and circumstantial evidence, which I find quite problematic from both a legal and a moral perspective. I was yeah, framed. I'm innocent, I swear. I was framed. <laughs> well, now, I mean, you I are... Mean, you, you, your uh, perspective is one that is, uh, I would say, on the side of uh, beyond, you know, the reasonable doubt argument that... You know, somebody could have borrowed my cell phone and and all the rest of that. And but I, I think it's good that you explain to people how they find targets. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't going to, you know, go there. Um, but it's true. <clears throat> this isn't, you know, there are some people that think that these robots are flying around and you know, indiscriminately uh, killing people. Uh, there are protocols. And in the kill chain, there were people that didn't understand this. I remember I was at the uh, AUBSI show, and God, I, what was it? So before the last election, and I had some people doing a documentary, a guy shoves a microphone in my face to ask me what I thought of killer robots, and I said, you know, do you, do you understand that there's a kill chain? And then on one end of the kill chain is uh, a Hellfire missile, and on the other end of the kill chain is President Obama. Do you understand that? That's right. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of people did not understand that at all. What? Mm -hmm. the, the robot's <laughs> not calling shots? You know, no, the robot is not calling shots. And, you know, even being an industry insider, I have I have problems, and, and we'll get on to that hopefully here in a minute. But, I, I you know, also, I, I got a full disclosure, I did do work for the military, I worked for the Navy, we did ISR, uh, trained people to do ISR in Afghanistan. So I, mm -hmm. I, I also have a personal, uh, let's say, view on this from experience. But let me, let me ask you, do you believe any of the claims that the technology is an effective deterrent? I don't, as a matter of fact. I think that, on the contrary, it serves as an effective catalyst to radicalization. And the evidence for this is all over the place. First of all, the, the terrorist suspects who have survived to 
talk about why they're doing what they're doing almost always refer to the drones. They say, we're not going to stop until you stop. They say this in their testimony. They say this on their videos. The other evidence comes from NGO and human rights organizations who have issued report after report where they go into these areas and interview people and they find out that, lo and behold, the hovering above of lethal drones causes the people on the ground to be very angry in some cases, especially young boys. And when they become angry enough, then they decide to join ranks with whoever the local terrorist group happens to be. So I think far from being a deterrent, I actually think it radicalizes people. And we have lots of examples. Anwar al-Awlaki is arguably an, an example, right? He was a moderate cleric, and he was radicalized over the years well, since you know, he was the one. I think it's an effective deterrent, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. I mean, <clears throat> one of the projects that I, that I was on, we were doing forest protection, okay? And um, let's just say that the shenanigans around the, uh, you know, coalition fobs in Afghanistan when the, when the ISR was set up, airborne mm -hmm. ISR was set up, started to die mm -hmm. off real quick because people understood that if you were planning IEDs or sniping or some other activity, uh, your lifespan was, was going to be short. Uh, you know, that's just the, the, the facts of it. And yes, it, well, it, there were people that were upset about it, but, you know, uh, the other thing is, is there, there is some stuff that is going on for the villagers that there's a benefit. There's, you know, some, uh, you know, gun running interdiction, um, you know, police actions, and, you know, the, a lot of these people are, are like, like, I guess we could just call it a shakedown by the local warlords. Mm -hmm. That's how this deal works. So when that, mm -hmm. is, when that came into place, a, a lot of this activity starts to die off and that ring widens out, you know, however many kilometers or whatever, uh, away where, where the insurgents stopped dying. So I do think it's, a, it's an effective deterrent. And it's also an effective deterrent. Um, they're afraid of it, you know. I do well, think, I think that it's... I think we have to distinguish two cases. One is the one you described where there are troops on the ground who require force protection. I think that's a very different scenario from a case such as Yemen where there are no boots on the ground you know, to be protected. I think that's a very different case. And so I, I may, I'm much more okay. sympathetic to your position in a case where it is actually a formally delineated war zone as opposed to just some tribal region which has been labeled hostile so that they can go in and send some drones in and kill a bunch of people. So I think those are very different contexts. But what agreement. about the people? Well, I, mean, I think that there, there's even a, 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 a piece of data that's missing out of this, even in the Yemen strike. Uh, if there were warlords strong arming a particular village, do you? I mean, if they were polled, if the villagers were polled, the common man was polled that was being strong armed by this warlord, uh, would he take, you know, that ISR, that overhead eye in the sky, that might take out the warlord and relieve him of the oppression of the warlord? I'm thinking that uh, he might say, yeah, why don't you go ahead and leave it up there, and if you see him, nuke him. That is possible. Uh, well, there are different there are different results. People have been interviewed, and some of these surveys say, "Oh, yes, they actually like the drones." But I think many more say that they really hate them and they're traumatized by them. They they find that they it, the problem is that they don't know who's going to be killed next, right? It's not that they think that they're being targeted, but there are mistakes made, and they also don't know who's on the hit list. So they don't know is my dad considered to be 
a suspected terrorist, is my brother considered to be a suspected terrorist? Because what happens in these areas is that people become, frankly, paranoid. They start worrying about associating with people, for example, in markets. You know, there have been several, I think, eight or maybe ten weddings hit. And so people are afraid to get together. If your brother or your father has 182 Kalashnikovs and four cases of RPGs, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, okay. the guy, somebody's going to get a clue, you know. You know, Pop, right. yeah, you, there, that's more AKs than you need, and somebody's going to take notice. Well, it is, I don't know, you know, I used to, uh, even when I instructed, I mean, uh, there, we'll, we're going to get into this, too, a little bit more, but I want to... Uh, I think we're in agreement. We're supporting the troops and whatever else. That's that's a different story. So let's and and this is we agree on that. Where I come off the rails, I'm not I'm not really in. This is what really set it apart for me. This this kind of being a drone guy was like, well, wait a minute here. We gotta hold the phone. Let's think about there, or think about this. <clears throat> so for you, Lori, is there a distinction between targeting U.S. citizens and other combatants like Anwar? Uh, uh, and I know I'm gonna. I'm, I'm actually going to do a bad job on his name. Al Lackey and, and the uh, Abu Ahmed Hijazi. I mean, is there a difference between them and, and let's say, non-citizens? Did the U.S. citizen think set off a warning bell for you? Let, let, what are your thoughts I, on this? I, yes, that's an excellent question. I think that the case of Anwar al Lackey was especially disturbing because he was taken into custody at the U.S. government's request in Yemen without charges, and he was held for about a year and a half before being released and then hunted down and killed. So it just looks like a case where the claim of infeasibility of capture is refuted by the facts on the ground. He was taken into custody, therefore it would have been possible to do so again. Now, the distinction you're asking about is, you know, whether he's somehow intrinsically different from non-Americans, and I do think that U.S. citizens have rights under the Constitution, which go above and beyond the rights of belligerents as articulated in international protocols, such as the Geneva Conventions, the UN Charter, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But, and I, I personally believe that all targets of drone strikes are being denied their rights under those conventions. They're not allowed to surrender, they're not warned, um, including Anwar al But I, I do believe that U.S. citizens are being further denied their rights under U.S. law. So it's kind of much worse. I mean, it's bad already, but I think it's much worse when you have a case like Al-Laki who could have been taken in, he could have been tried. If nothing else, he could have been tried in absentia. Mm-hmm. And, and that, just that, that rolls right in, because you know, we're, we're kind of on the same page on that one, but that really rolls right into the next question. Did you read the DOJ brief regarding extrajudicial killings? And, and what I certainly did. Sure. The white paper argued for the legality of targeting U.S. nationals. Uh, and in, in making the case, it redefined imminent threat so broadly as to preclude basically no act of homicide. So if you say that an imminent threat need not be immediate, it's really a questionable linguistic maneuver, I believe. And it, and it may seem to work in the case of Anwar al and others, but it can also be adduced by basically every petty despot on the planet who wants to dispatch his political enemies in what he claims to be acts of national defense. So I believe that if the framework the U.S. drew up in the white paper is embraced widely by other leaders, then all international norms against assassination will be rendered null and void. And there's evidence, actually, for this, because... British Prime Minister David Cameron has already taken out British nationals using lethal drones 
I would say, in emulation of Obama's summary execution without trial of Anwar al-Awlaki and others who had been suspected of treason. Right. Now, you know, I, okay, the DOJ brief, and, you know, there's there's more stuff that's going on here. Now, I read that, right? And, yes. you know, you'd think before you go out and whack an American citizen, you know, there is the Constitution, that, you right. know, possibly you'd, you know, I don't know, maybe a couple of charges. I'm not even going to go as far as an indictment, you know, but right. you know, can we have some charges before you go and whack this dude? I thought it was totally off the, the hook. Um, I, mm-hmm. I spoke at the American Bar Association and also the convention for the defense attorneys convention, 500 lawyers in each case sitting out there in the room. I said, show of hands, how many people read the DOJ brief? And in both instances, you had one or two people put their hand up. And, and mm-hmm. it, it, everybody talks about, you know, how militarization of the police chills the First Amendment and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this guy, the whole Constitution's got, uh, you know, ice on it. I don't get it. I've I've talked to uh, drone experts who worked in the Obama administration, and their job was to was to watchdog the DOJ, openness and transparency. Drones was their thing. Did you read the DOJ brief about the extrajudicial killing? Nope. I don't know anything about it. Oh my goodness. Flabbergasted. So I, I I agree. Something's wrong there, Gene. What do you have to say? Okay, I'm going to come across as maybe being a little hawkish on this one. But, okay, that's uh, why you're here. The, the, <laughs> the, the state of warfare has changed significantly over the last 50 years that I've been around. Uh, there is no longer a formal declaration to be engaged. Uh, you know, and uh, somebody in a military position has got to make the, uh, the assessment of a threat. And what we hope that uh, the guys on the ground and the, the, the officers that uh, make those decisions are getting as much intel as they possibly can get before they make it. Now, if my son is out there in Yemen somewhere, and there is an Alawaki out there that could potentially be setting up or by demonstration has set up to hurt any of my guys, i got to take him out. And that's rules of engagement, even though it's not under a formal declaration of war but those rules have changed and i think we're seeing a lot of that go on and the american public hasn't been privy to that no but i I, i'm gonna have to go uh hippie on here (laughs) i mean basically his his crime was putting videos on youtube i don't i'm not sure that uh, that warrants a whacking in my book I think we need to we need to to be a little bit more let's say um, cautious about whacking U.S. citizens. And, and we're going long here, but if you you know you got other things to do, people, I don't I don't know what to tell you, but this conversation is good, so we're going to go on. <coughs> Lori, <laughs> final thought on that on on the DOJ brief. Well, I think that the scenario he just described um, was a little bit off in that there were no boots on the ground when Anwar al-Awlaki was killed. So he was just, as you said, a guy who was really a propagandist. We don't know the details. When, when the government was ordered to release the memos leading up to his execution, they redacted all of the evidence. So we actually don't know what his crimes were supposed to be to warrant summary execution without trial. What we do know is that there were no boots on the ground in Yemen, and he was killed after he had been let out of prison. So I find it incredibly problematic 
whatever you may think about drones and force protection in a case such as Afghanistan or, or even Iraq, which I believe to have been an illegal war, but at least there were troops on the ground, so you had a pretext, you know, needing to protect them. But in Yemen, it just looks like um, the sorts of assassinations you saw during the Cold War. I mean, I don't see how it's any different from an assassination. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll you know we'll talk about uh, that one in a minute. But I, I will talk. Okay, so you know, <clears throat> I, again, having some experience with this, many you know see the extrajudicial killings as a foreign policy issue. Okay, and in many instances, mm -hmm. I've, I've I've spoken at uh, NYU Berkeley Law and the Berkeley Drone Town Hall meeting, and that's kind of where I got my Twitter handle, the Drone Dealer, because that's what I was called by yeah. someone in the audience. Um, I find a lot of folks kind of sling all of their disdain for the Obama administration's policy under the wings of the drone effigy. You know, do you, do you find this? Do you, what, what do you think about that? I think that Obama has been a very tricky case. I think people have been very hesitant to criticize him because he is our first black president, and that was a huge historic breakthrough for our country. Unfortunately, it made it really easy for him to get away with whatever he wanted to do militarily because. For example, the intervention in Libya he undertook without seeking congressional approval. And liberals basically just let him do what he wanted to do because he was the first black president. And, of course, uh, the Hawks loved it. You know, they weren't going to complain. And the strongest critics of Obama have really been those of a libertarian bent or staunch defenders of the Constitution, such as Rand Paul. But that position, and I, it sounds like it's your position, is not really widely shared among mainstream Americans. And they've, they've really given Obama a free pass to do whatever he wants to do. And I don't think, for example, a Republican president would have gotten away with uh, all that he's gotten away with. Um, I think that they're cutting him too much slack. And I think we all did, I mean, for, throughout most of his two terms, um, because we wanted him to be something, someone who he clearly is not. Mm. Well, let me just say um, that, you know, I, well, I, I just okay. want to say something first. I, Laurie, I appreciate your candor because most people wouldn't discuss that in public. Gene, go ahead. Well, I, I just wanted to make a statement that there was an army division in Yemen in 2002, and uh, there were boots on the ground. <laughs> I'm sorry. And there were six reported killed in 2002. Oh, is that right? I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are things that we don't get to know. That's why they redact things. And, and I get it. Having been in the military myself, there are things that I was told that I didn't need to know about because it was part of the bigger picture that didn't concern my job. So, mm -hmm. unfortunately, I, you know, I get that and I understand it. It, it grates and it irritates me on me as well because I'm an intelligent thinking person. And I should be able to handle it. But mm -hmm. we don't get everything that they get. And, and okay. that's why I wanted to bring up that 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 situation. And and that's true. And that's one other thing about being on the podcast. And Gene, you know, I mean, you know, everybody gets to bring their uh, their real stuff to the table, and that and that's it's an intellectual honesty thing, as far as I'm concerned. I was unaware of that also, but I still have problems to say with whacking U.S. citizens without a trial. But anyway, oh, I, I, do get back to I do too. I do I get that, but you know, it's just that we don't know some of the things that went on. We don't, you know, and, and the Libya thing, I mean, you know, for, for me, I was never for any of these wars. People are like, oh, you know, Iraq, and, and, you know, I, it, I'm not really, uh, I was never really for any of this stuff. I think what's happened in the Arab Spring has been a, a complete unmitigated disaster with Libya and Syria. 
I mean, you can't put red lines and then back off and, and knuckle. And I, it's just a disaster, but that's a whole other podcast. I do agree. A lot of people I found that I talk to, that, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be upfront, I'm conservative. Um, you know, I talk to them, I ask them, how come, you, you know, sure? you don't. I know you're you're questioning that now. Yes, I am. I'm I'm kind of a you know a social um, socially liberal, but I you know monetarily uh, I don't want to pay for uh, boondoggles. <laughs> I really don't like it. But anyway, the uh, you know this I've asked people. I said, well, you know, why don't you um, protest? Uh, you know what's going on with Obama? And I I noticed even in your book, you know, you kind of mentioned there's there's some other cases that you mentioned in your book that are say. I've been uh, pu- public and divisive that are social, uh, domestic issues. And I've asked people, so why don't you just go and protest? And if they say the same thing, well, it's hard to find people that will go and protest Obama because they don't want to look anti-black, which to me is totally ridiculous. Uh, you know, who cares if you don't Go ahead. It's a reality, though. It really is a reality. And, you know, when I when I made that critical comment of Obama, I should probably have prefaced it by the fact that I, I voted for the man. I mean, I believe that he was a different sort of leader than he has turned out to be. So, um, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's tricky. It's very tricky. Go ahead, Gene. No, no, I'm just like sitting here in the background listening. Y'all go ahead. Okay, I know, I know what's going on there. All right, well, you know, it is. I, I do think people had a lot of hope and all the rest of that stuff, but I, I think it does show the danger um, you know, I'm reading currently reading 1984, and I'm, I mean, you know, Orwell was more on it than than we I think give him credit for. But uh, uh-huh. I think it's totally ridiculous if you have a problem. I don't care what party you are. If you disagree with something, you should, you know, as an American, that's what makes this country great. Should, hey, I don't like that. You know, this that's not right. This isn't right. Whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> that's a whole other podcast. But I wanted to I wanted to talk about one other thing. Um. You know, this this thing you talk about, you know, kind of the robots killing or whatever. I mean, we have, since the days of, I guess, slings and arrows, we've been working on weapon systems for greater standoff distance. You know, mm-hmm. and so before the, the, the drones really became a viable, let's say, vehicle for this, like Bill Clinton loved cruise missiles. And I think Ron Reagan did mm-hmm. too, but Bill Clinton really loved it. The, you know, drop of the hat, these things were flying. And, and that was kind of the way to accomplish, um, let's say, the same kind of thing before the drone. Your comments, right. thoughts. Well, I mean, you're talking about this idea that you're taking soldiers farther and farther away so that, so that it doesn't really require so much courage to fight war anymore. Is that, is that what you're getting at? Um, because no, I do just... have a chapter that's called uh, The Death of Military Virtue. Yeah, but see, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in the cowardice deal. Because when a guy's sitting in a an Apache helicopter at you know, right. click right. half away, two clicks away, and he opens up with a uh, you know, the gun there, he's not worried about a guy with a AK forty seven or a RPG, you know. There's okay. a, or, or the Spectre gunship. I mean, there's a lot of different weapon systems that people are not. Really concerned. The, the, the wars that we've been fighting are with these asymmetrical deals are not. It's tactics. Say, it is tactics, and it's not really. I don't know. That's. I, I don't really see that cowardice thing at all. I will know from my own experience. Even when I was training people, there is stress. 
uh, associated with it. I was never in Afghanistan. But the realization that if you're not paying attention to your job, people are going to lose their lives. And and we live right. in, a, in a in a world that's a 24-hour media news cycle. And I would tell people, you're going to see those kids' parents, man, on the TV. And you were, right. I don't read the magazine or not paying attention, and they died. So there is some stress to it. I don't think that people really think about that. I don't really know about the, the cowardice part of it. Um, you know, I mean, the same – you know, it could be said for a lot of different weapon systems. So I, I don't, I don't know if I really buy that. But go ahead and give us your thoughts on it. Okay. Well, I actually do believe that it, there's a paradigm shift here. I think that the concept of the soldier is being undone because of the risk aversion we've seen in the past, and in a way, it's it's rational, right? You don't want to let men die for no reason. Um, we've seen it, we saw it in 1999, um, the NATO bombing of Kosovo when the pilots flew high above their targets to avoid being shot down. But now with drones, it's possible to kill without any risk whatsoever. I mean, they, they don't even have the risk of crashing their own airplane. You know, sometimes these Apaches do crash, right? So these guys are sitting, or, and, and women are sitting in trailers in Creech Air Force Base and what they're doing is much more similar to what a clerical worker does. You know, they're pushing buttons um, on their computer console, and they don't pay for their own mistakes. If there are no troops on the ground to pay for the mistakes, then the only people who are paying for the mistakes are the civilians in these areas. Um, so I do think it's a huge difference. I think that it matters whether some of your buddies are on the line or whether your own, you know, your own life is on the line when, when you're about to make that decision to kill. I think that combat soldiers on the ground can reasonably regard themselves as acting in self-defense in many of the cases. I don't think that's true of the case um, of the drone operator sitting in a trailer in, at Creech Air Force Base. He can't really construe that as a, a case of legitimate self-defense. If you want to redefine self-defense, so broadly that even he can claim to be defending his own life, then I think you open up the possibility for just generally paranoid people saying, oh, he looked at me funny, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> you know, it's just too broad of a concept of self-defense. It's not an immediate threat. Ooh. Well, I, I know, I'm going to disagree with you here because, you know, you're, you're kind of, oh. this concept where it's just like willy-nilly in some GCS somewhere at Creech. It, this guy's got a job or girl, has got a job to protect the, the people on the ground, okay? And I don't think it's only a self-defense thing. I don't, we're, we're not only in uh, Afghanistan for self-defense or Iraq or whatever where we, we inset cert troops. And so I don't agree with that, and I, I don't agree. I mean, we have a whole, you know, we have missiles, we have other weapon systems, whatever else, and they all work in concert to, let's say, facilitate what's going on on the ground. Gene? Comments? As a veteran, yeah. uh, everything that, that I've just heard is, is so diametrically opposed to what was ingrained in me. <laughs> you know, I, and again, I'm coming across as hawkish, but, you know, I get it. I understand. It, it, it's because I've been through the indo indoctrination, I guess. But here some 40 years after, you know, the, the fact, I still understand what those guys do when they go in there, and it's always been – who can chunk the rock the furthest or who can chunk that spear the furthest to get mm -hmm. your guys out of harm's way and inflict the most damage on the guys that are the threat? And mm -hmm. uh, to me, you know, anything that we do that can keep let, – let's start 
an extension here. Okay, you're protecting the guys on the ground, yeah, but let's talk about the bigger mission. What are we trying to do? We're trying to protect our shores and our way of life and that sort of thing. Now, we won't get into the argument of whether we should be over there doing it, but what is the threat and what is it to the United States people? And if if our government thinks that we should be over there and that we should be killing bad guys over there that they claim are bad guys, then that's what we're doing. If you don't like the way the government is thinking about the bad guys are, then we change the government, right? Right, right. And, 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 and I, I agree with a lot of that. I mean, I like I said, uh, I said, I wasn't really for all these wars, but as soon as you decide, hey, we're going to run over there, you got to decide that you're in it to win it or don't even go. Roger that. Forget. Roger that. That's where I'm at. I don't really agree. That was the same thing I've said. You know, you got to vote these people out. That's that's one thing. We have a quasi-democratic process here. Um, I don't want to go too, too far down the road on that one. And, and Lori, <laughs> if you have a, um, an, another thought, a closing thought on that, let's have it. Uh, just that I do think we have to distinguish the two cases where there are um, killing, the killing is being done for force protection versus killing that's being done because people are suspected of associating with other suspected associates. I mean, I think that there's a big difference between those two cases. Well, and, uh, you know, I do too. And Gene, I, you know, you, you weighed in on that one. Uh, and we went real long on that, but I think this has been a great conversation. I, you know, I think it's, it's been genuine. But uh, let's let's do this, Lori. Do you have a a website or or uh, that people can find out more information about you and and how to how to get the book? Yes, I do. I have a blog. It's called The Drone Age, and the address is the thedroneage.wordpress.com. There's information about the book. Um, there are you know some book reviews, and then there are also a lot of blog posts about recent developments since the book went into production, which was in early 2015. So I'm talking about all these new drone acquisitions, new drone bases. For example, Cameroon was just given 300 special forces and a drone base by Obama, even though their country is ruled by a dictator who has held his office for 33 years. <laughs> so I have an Ooh, article on there that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and, you know, because it, it, it really is ramifying all over the globe. It's not just you may trust our leaders, but I'm not so sure that we need to be, we should be trusting some of these other leaders who are acquiring lethal drone technology right now. And so, yes, that's my blog, and join me. Comments are welcome, and more information about the book is there. It can be purchased at Amazon, and also the publisher is Zed in the UK. Um, you know, you can just Google, we kill because we can. It's kind of a provocative title. It will come up, and you'll be able to buy it that way. But the the blog is active, and so I invite everyone to join me there, including you too. Yeah, well, and you know what? I mean, you know, just even to, to, to round this deal out. Now, Noam Chomsky made comments about your book, which I was like, hmm. You know, I mean, everybody, I don't agree with Mr. Chomsky at all. But I thought it was right. kind of impressive, and I'm impressed that you came on here and you had uh, a frank and candid discussion that you did. And the things that you discussed, and I, I thank you for that. Um, and you know, next time you write a book about drones, man, you gotta you gotta call me up, and we we gotta talk about this. <laughs> I definitely yeah. will. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate having honest debate about this topic. I know that there are differences of opinion, but I feel like debate is really healthy, and that's what's been missing in the whole lethal drone history. We just really haven't had the public debate. So thank you very much. I appreciate no it. No question. Oh yeah. And 
that. Exactly. Uh, I, Laurie, I, I, I would like to say that I appreciate your candor as well, and uh, there's no question that that discussion needs to be had. Great. Absolutely. I'll talk about <laughs> all right. Well, everybody, hey, Happy New Year, and uh, we'll see you all in uh, 2016. All righty. Happy New Year's, and good luck. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.